0: Now, the central message of Jesus Christ was the message of the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. He referred to it sometimes as John the Baptist, as he prepared the way, preached the message of the kingdom. It says in Matthew, the third chapter, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is is at hand. Jesus preached the message of the kingdom. From that time Jesus began to preach and say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then again in Matthew the fourth chapter says, and Jesus went about all Galilee teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel or good news of, guess what, the kingdom and healing all kinds of sicknesses and all kinds of diseases among the people. Then his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. Paul preached the kingdom, and indeed Now I know that you all, you ever notice how Southern Paul is there? Y'all. Oh, I know that y'all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God will see my face no more. Preaching the kingdom of God. Jesus called men and women. He called us to preach the kingdom. In Luke, the ninth chapter says, Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. So what is the kingdom of God? Some view the kingdom of God as an alternative term for heaven, but Jesus taught that it's in our midst right here on earth. And it comes now through his ministry. When Jesus spoke of entering the kingdom Uh, he was not merely saying going to heaven when you die. He was talking about entering into the kingdom life in the here and now. And this includes heaven later on and whatever God plans uh, uh, for us in the future on the new earth. But it's far more than just heaven the kingdom of heaven is not just about pie in the sky. It's about a kingdom, a realm, a spiritual realm that you enter into in this world, in this creation right now. Whenever he was preaching, he was calling people out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light on this globe that we're on right now. The kingdom of God is the place where Jesus is king. It is a spiritual, invisible kingdom that's all around us. And it's been all around us since before the fall of Adam and Eve. Do you remember back in the Old Testament when Elijah and his servant were surrounded by all the enemy uh, troops and uh, his servant was really upset. And what did Elijah say? He says, "Lord, open his eyes that he may see." And the servant looked out there, and there was an angel behind every bush out there. Much more, much more out there in God's side than there was of the enemy. Changed his whole perspective. It's not confined to a particular geographical location or to a particular religious organization. The kingdom is truly present, and we enter into it to the extent that Jesus is honored as Lord and as we do his will here on earth. There's an opposing kingdom at work here on earth as well. Jesus spoke of Satan's kingdom. The scripture declares that the whole world lies under the sway of the evil one. Satan is called the god of this age, the prince of the power of the air, and the spirit who now works in the children of disobedience. Satan exercises a stupendous influence on the hearts and lives of men and women, of boys and girls. The existence of Satan's kingdom accounts for the hatred, the wars, the stupidity, and the selfishness of humankind. The existence of false religions and philosophies and the presence of every kind of perversion and deception on the face of the earth. Satanic influence is very effective because it operates in the background and is generally not openly displayed. It's almost always covered up under another name or philosophy. The kingdom of God is in perpetual conflict with the spiritual kingdom of Satan, and these are the two spiritual kingdoms which dominate the affairs of mankind and influence the lives of multitudes And we're seeing it writ large in our newspapers and on TV every day. They're totally opposite in nature. There is no third kingdom. The kingdom of God only advances through the destruction of the works and the influence of the devil. And that is why the church is getting the gospel of the kingdom out is so important so that people can be delivered from the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. Now, Jesus made this very clear all through his life and his teaching. Even though though the world is uh, under the sway of darkness, the good news, the gospel is that we can step out of that kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. In a moment, just a step, and you've gone from one kingdom to the other. Now, the night that Jesus was betrayed, he made one aspect of the kingdom extremely clear. He had the 12 gathered together for one last meal, and we're going to commemorate that meal this morning. One last meal before he went to the cross And while everyone was seated, Jesus got up. He took a towel and a basin, and he knelt down before each one of his disciples, Judas included, knowing that Judas was going to betray him, it says, and he washed their feet. Now, this was the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. This was the King of the kingdom that he had been preaching about. And the passage that we just read earlier today, uh, he is talking about what it's going to be like uh, when his kingdom comes. And so uh, it's in this light that we see the king of kings doing the task of a servant. He washed all their feet. And after he'd finished, this is what he said. Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and your teacher, wash your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you also should do as I did to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, whenever Jesus says truly, truly, that means listen. This is important. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is the one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you're blessed if you do them. You see, knowledge is not enough. The blessing comes from the doing what you know. Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, makes it clear that the greatest marks of being a part of his kingdom are the marks of humility and love. A servant's heart, pridefulness and self-seeking have no place in the kingdom of God. If those are present, you're serving the wrong king. He made it clear that the one who is great in his kingdom has learned to be the servant of all. All the laws and the principles of the kingdom of God are overarched by this law of humility. They all fall under service and humility. That comes first. And it's with that overarching uh, law and principle that we are looking at all these laws and principles of the kingdom of God. Now, even though there are two spiritual realms, you see there is one creator of heaven and earth. And the laws and principles that he placed them under are in full force and effect no matter which kingdom we live under. We can live in his kingdom and under his laws as a rebel or as a subject. It's our choice. These laws or principles hold true for both the saved and the unsaved. The difference is that when you're living in the kingdom of God, your life is going to line up with the intents and purposes of your creator. And you're going to find blessing and wholeness that the unsaved are never going to find in applying them. Even though they will work because they are God's principles, our Creator's principles, they're not going to experience the full blessing that they could otherwise. Last week, we looked at the law of generosity and the subcategory of reciprocity. J.C. Penney, Mr. Walton, the founder of Walmart, and Henry Ford, all three started their companies with this umbrella of service and humility overhead. And they saw the golden rule as something to be lived by. And all three of them endeavored to provide something of value for a good price to the average American. That was their endeavor. And, uh, As they uh, worked out and worked under this, they were blessed. Now, how those companies have stayed or how close they've stayed to this principle, I have no idea. But Mr. Penny, Mr. Walton, and Mr. Ford were all blessed as they followed these principles. When people come in to me for counseling, some are Christian and some are not. And those who are not, I advise, I am a Christian counselor, and the principles about relationships that I'm going to be sharing with them are Christian principles. They come from God's Word and they will work, whether they're Christian or not. I make that clear. These principles will work because they come straight from the Creator of relationships. The problem that I tell them that they're going to find is that they're going to find it very difficult to live out of these principles for very long if they are not his and getting his help. I can show you things that will get your life back on track, but without him, you're probably going to derail again pretty darn quick. The law that we're looking at today can be called the law of use. And we see it spelled out in this parable, about some slaves that Jesus told. And I love the way that, uh, uh, that it starts. In verse 14, it says, he's talking about the kingdom of God. And he says, for it is just like, the kingdom of God is just like a man about to go on a journey. He said, this is what the kingdom of God is just like. He's saying he's lifting back the curtain and showing you this is the way the kingdom of God is. And then he tells this story of the nobleman and the three servants. One is given 10 talents of gold. Another is given five talents of gold. The other is given one talent of gold. And it says he's distributed his wealth among them according to their ability. He distributed his wealth among them. So you've got these talents that are representing his wealth. And it's amazing, really, how much he entrusted them. It says that uh, he entrusted his possessions to them. And we read in another account that he told them when he entrusted his wealth to them, they were supposed to do business with it. They were supposed to be keeping things going for him. That's, he entrusted his wealth to them for them to do something with that would be of benefit to him. And then he went away. Well, you know that the 10-talent the servant did business and doubled the 10 to 20. The five-talent doubled the five-talents to 10. But the one-talent servant... And remember, he's a servant. He takes his master's talent, wraps it up in cloth, and he digs a deep hole, and he buries it. And so then they come back, and he calls these guys before him to give an accounting. And the one, now remember, he distributed it to them according to their ability. He knew what they were capable of, and so he didn't give them more than they could handle. The 10-talent guy, hey, here's 20. He says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in a few things. Now then, I'm going to put you over 20 cities. The next one, he put over 10 cities. And then he comes to the one-talent guy and says, I knew that you were hard, a t- hard taskmaster, and I sure didn't want to do anything wrong. So I hit it, and here it is. Well, the master was infuriated. Now, why was he infuriated? The reason why he was infuriated is because he told them to do business with it. He was a servant, and he did not do what he was told to do. He disobeyed his boss. And then it's like he's proud that he's able to give him back what was left with him. Now, the principle that comes out of all of this, what Jesus says is for everyone who has, more shall be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who does not have, even what he does have will be taken away. Now, let's look at this unfaithful, you might say, servant. What he did was he never owned it. It used to puzzle me because it says uh, he who has. This servant never took possession of the talent, did he? He never took possession of it. He never owned it. He had to own it in order to use it. And he just took what was his master's, dropped it in a hole and covered it up and went on about his own business, doing whatever he darn well pleased while his master wasn't around, and then is real proud that he can just give his master back what he left him with, ignoring the fact that he had totally disobeyed his master. Now, people get upset because they don't think it's right that he had that taken away from him and had it given. But remember, this was about abilities. And this guy, he knew he was marginal, so it just gave him the one talent. But then he proved himself to not even be marginal. He proved himself to be one that should be ushered out the door. Just grab your things off your desk and leave. Well, you ever had anybody work for you like that? I'm, I'm too easy on them. I'm, but uh, anyway, Sharon could tell you about that. But I've had some people that have been marginal like that, and I've let them stay way too long. I'm just too soft-hearted. I give them... 14 chances, it seems like. But anyway, that being the case, it's not harsh what he did. The guy was given a job to do, and he didn't do it. He was given instructions. He didn't follow them. His master put faith in him, and he didn't own up and be faithful to his master. So you see, it's fair what happened. He couldn't handle and did not want to handle his master's affairs. He didn't want to have anything to do with his master. Well, one talent, I checked it this morning, the current price of one talent, $1,400,116.57. That's what one talent would be worth today. So you see, it wasn't just a little coin. It was a bunch of money, a bunch of gold that he could have done a lot with. And he did nothing with it, didn't want to have anything to do with it, didn't want to be associated with it, buried it and ignored it till he had to give an accounting. And Jesus says, this is what the kingdom of God is like. Wow. Which one of these servants are we like, do you think? Okay. The, the, principle, the u- principle of use or law of use is use it or lose it. And it's not just in the New Testament. It's also in the Old Testament. Solomon, uh, right toward the end of the book of Proverbs says, I once walked by the field and the vineyard of a lazy fool. Thorns and weeds were everywhere and the stone wall had fallen down. When I saw this, it taught me a lesson sleep a little, doze a little, fold your hands and twiddle your thumbs, suddenly poverty hits you and everything is gone. Here was someone that had a vineyard. They neglected it. They didn't use it and it had turned into a weed patch. This is the way it is in our lives. Let's face it. The master is God. We are His servants, and He has entrusted us us with a lot of stuff. What are we doing with it? One of these days, we have to give an accounting. Have we used it? Have we utilized it? Have we owned the gifts and graces and talents and all the things that He's bestowed upon us? Have we owned those things that are His? and use them wisely, and use them responsibly the way that he, and we know that he, wants us to use them. This, this principle works with our spirituality. He's called us. We have a connection with God. Are we cultivating it the way that we should? He's given us a mind. If we don't use our mind, we lose it. I've discovered this so true in languages. I used to uh, be able to think in Spanish. Now I'm doing good to just ask for tacos, you know. But it's uh, just one of these things where if you don't use what you have, you lose it. Russian, I used to be able to read Tolstoy, Dostoevsky in Russian. I can't even sound out the letters anymore because I don't get to use Russian that much. Czech, I can still say... some things, yeah, yeah. <laughs> See, it's if you don't use it, it goes. It goes. Our physical bodies are the same way. I've got a set of free weights out in the garage. I finally worked up a place where I can where I can work out out there now where we can all work out. Got a little gym in the garage. Got free weights there. If I start using those weights, at first I'll just have to use some pretty small ones. As time goes on, I'll be build up. If I don't do exercise, what's going to happen? I'm going to get weaker and weaker. If you don't use it, you lose it. In relationships, you have to work on relationships. You have to cultivate a relationship with any person that God has placed in your life. Farms, ranches, and vineyards, if you don't take care of them, they turn into weed patches. It applies to all of life, no matter what your age or stage or station. Just like the servants in the parable, we've all been entrusted with different things by our Master, God. We've been instructed to manage these things. And we are we, I must say, we need to ask ourselves this morning are we in the kingdom and using them the way that he told us to? Or are we ignoring him like the servant that's called wicked and lazy? Are we ignoring him and any of his mandates, any of his will, and just going about our own business expecting somehow to be blessed by him? Jesus says the kingdom of God is just like that where are we in the picture just think what all he's entrusted to you he's entrusted eyes that you can look with lust through or you can look with compassion through he's given you a mouth that can build up or tear down he's given you feet to take you good places or bad places He's given you hands and arms to get stuff done. He's given you good intellect. Every one of you here has a good mind that you should be using for his good and for your good, because he does want your good. You've been given talents. You've been given abilities. You've been given material resources, and you've been given skills. Servants, these are what the master has entrusted you with. What are you doing with them? What are you doing with them? Are we doing with them as he instructed us? Now, let me tell you, the amount we see in the, uh, in the parable, the amount doesn't matter. I can remember me just being just flat on the bed, dying in the hospital, so weak I could hardly talk and having to repent. Because I was laying there griping at God, saying, Lord, I'm sorry. Help me to just let this little feeble light shine laying here in this hospital bed. And you know what? He blessed that prayer. I can't go into details, but first of all, I didn't die. That's pretty much a blessing. And then a lot of other good stuff, too. But the thing is, I have a friend who uh, wound up. uh, She lived her life the wrong way, and then she got it turned around. And she realized that she hadn't been doing the right things with what God had given her. And she knew that she needed to be doing something for the Lord. And so what he had her do, I've shared this with you. He had her get a mop bucket and tie a scarf on her head and take a bunch of cleaning supplies to some harried mama who had little ones running all over the house. Say, hi, I'm your maid for the day. I'm your gift from God. I'm going to clean your house. And... Uh, That's what he had her start out doing when it was all over. She wound up being mother of the year in Dallas, Texas, and uh, had an international ministry going. But she always said, what you do is you start doing for the Lord what you can, where you are with what you got. The mount doesn't matter. What are you doing where you are with what you got? Quit waiting for the big thing later on waiting for the land to sell, or waiting for this to happen, or that to happen, or when, when I get this worked out. It's the right now that matters. You can wait your life away and squander what the Lord has entrusted to you to do something with. He may not have given you a hundred million dollars. He may have just given you a million and a half, but that's enough. Do what you can with it. I have another friend who was doing well in business and in life and then enemies got the best of him and he lost his business and went into a pity party and his self-pity nearly destroyed him till he found himself laying on a hospital bed dying of alcohol poisoning in Taub Hospital. They told him he was not going to leave that ward alive. Laying there, he prayed, Lord, if you'll just let me walk like a man one more time, I'll serve you the rest of my life. He got better, he got up, he left, and he kept his word. He wound up graduating from college when he was 50. He started teaching high school industrial technology in his 50s. He did that so he could minister to kids that were prone to go the wrong way got his master's degree when he was about 55 and continued to teach till he died. It wasn't too late for my buddy. And no matter what your age, no matter what your stage, no matter what your station, it's not too late for you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.